Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is indeed time to tap into the truth. With you as always, this is your host, Tim Tapp, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. There's a lot going on today news-wise, a lot of things we need to get to. A lot of these things are interrelated. There's some headlines that we need to hit. And, of course, we want to delve past those headlines as much as possible. But there are things that you need to be aware of, things you need to know just in case you're not presently aware. Uh, News broke just a little while ago that there is a situation. San Francisco is now on high alert uh, as a result of these ongoing terrorist threats, which we believe still has something to do with the closing of the embassies, which I had a full 45-minute rant about yesterday. But uh, the Department of Homeland Security is beefing up its presence at airports, train stations, and other travel hubs in the United States in the wake of a global travel warning opposed, imposed on all U.S. citizens. Well, obviously it is opposed to U.S. citizens as well, but that's a whole different story. The thing is, local authorities are not going into specifics, but the San Francisco Police Department does acknowledge receiving a bulletin by the FBI and DHS. Uh, The San Francisco Police Department said that their officers are monitoring various areas of the city and will determine if additional resources are necessary. Bottom line, San Francisco on high alert, and so far this is the only major city in the United States that this has been reported as happening, at least to this point. There may very well be more. But here's the big deal. This has a lot to do with the fact that, uh, according to ABC News, this is a biggie. There's a new liquid explosive uh, that has been uh, created, supposedly, uh, by an Al-Qaeda affiliate, which is Al-Qaeda of the Arabian Peninsula, our fine friends in Yemen, who also are being... uh, held accountable, the fingers being pointed at them, for shooting down 
a Yemenese government helicopter, which included military personnel, including one of their commanders, a high-ranking general. And according to certain conservative uh, bloggers, uh, bloggers, certain conservative bloggers, and certain other new age media outlets, the contention is that the shoulder-fired rocket that was used to shoot down this helicopter was American-made. The arms that have been going to Al-Qaeda and militants to go fight in Syria have made their way into the hands of Yemenis who want to kill, max, and destroy. This as the news that the very first criminal charges have been filed in regards to the criminal probe of the Benghazi attack. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Federal agents and prosecutors investigating the attack on the U.S. diplomatic compound in Benghazi have filed charges against Ahmed Khalali, leader of the Libyan militia, that officials believe was involved in the assault. You know, not the video that was blamed, the innocence of Muslim. There are links to all of those stories and more over at the Tap Into the Truth Facebook page. So if you want to do follow-up information on those things, please feel free to go over there, check out the links to the various sources of information that these are coming from. I have already heard tell that a lot of this arrest information in the Benghazi case is probably being timed to deal with uh, Obama's appearance on The Tonight Show, which I believe is scheduled for tonight. Also, while we're on the topic, we have not got a link over on Facebook as of yet, but we may very well put one over there uh, before the end of the show, and that is the fact that the filmmaker who made The Innocence of the Muslim that little YouTube video that uh, was blamed for the initial attacks in Benghazi and in Egypt actually spoke out today, had some comments to make, and evidently he's not sorry at all that he made the film. Says he actually has Muslim friends that are not part of this terroristic society that Islam seems to continue to portray and create and bring forward so that those friends of his actually are not angry at him over the film and that if he could go back he would do it again and he actually thanked the US government for keeping him safe while there were strong threats against his life uh, he is being held he's in jail supposedly on a probation violation and some other various unrelated charges. Uh, he's in a halfway house at the moment, and he remains under federal custody. Interesting enough. As we continue, though, to look forward as to what's happening, this liquid explosive is something that is really disconcerting to me. Uh, it's being reported by ABC News that uh, this is supposedly linked to 
the multi-embassy shutdown. Although, to the best of my knowledge, only one or two of the embassies have actually been evacuated, which means they're closed. The personnel, the people who ordinarily would be there, are still there. They're just not open for business. Just had an interesting conversation with somebody who said that they think that this is actually designed more for this big-time whatever that's supposed to be coming to happen and the people will be closed up that Americans or American allies, citizens of nations that are friendly to us, won't be able to get into the embassies for protection. For those of you who don't travel a lot, if you are in a foreign country, especially one that is not necessarily the friendliest towards Americans or the United States in general, sometimes the only safe place for you, or at least this is what we've always been taught, is the U.S. Embassy. Now, we've come to realize now that these embassies, at least while people like Hillary Clinton are in charge of the State Department and Barack Obama, who I'm going to change his name from the occupier to Barack No Balls Obama uh, very shortly, uh, when these people are in charge, embassies are probably the last place you want to go. You might be safer running around in the middle of these crowds that are trying to come kill you because the embassy will be the target. Breaking news, big time breaking news that came out today. Also, a uh, link to this on the Tap Into the Truth Facebook page. I'm really plugging it today. Hope you'll go over there and like it while you're there. It seems that uh, Valerie Jarrett, at least this is the official word that's coming out at the moment. Valerie Jarrett, chief advisor to the president, was the one who actually gave the stand-down orders? Are you kidding me? Only the commander-in-chief gets to make that call. Only the person who is holding the office of the president gets to make that call. There are reports coming from Conservative Report, another online archive, that uh, Valerie Jarrett, a.k.a. Obama's brain, is the one who gave the orders that caused the murders of four Americans in the Benghazi consulate. Confidential sources that are close to the conservative report have confirmed that Valerie Jarrett was the key decision maker for the administration. She is the one that made the decisions on the night of the Benghazi terrorist attack on September 11, 2012. According to the report, they say that the timeline of the events were as follows. At approximately 5 p.m. Washington time, reports came in through secure channels that Special Mission Benghazi was under attack. Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Martin Dempsey summoned the President and briefed him on the crisis face-to-face. -face. Subsequent to that brief meeting, 
the occupier proceeded to the White House to dine in his living quarters. Yep, well, interesting. Time to go to dinner. Thanks for letting me know, guys. After supper, the occupier, a.k.a. Barack No Balls Obama, had a telephone conference scheduled with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. As that meeting drew to a close, Miss Jarrett, who is also the assistant to the president for public engagement and intergovernmental affairs, that's an interesting combination, by the way, went from the living quarters to the White House Situation Room, where the attack in Benghazi was being monitored by Dempsey, Panera, and other top-ranking officials. Whether she was instructed by the occupier to go there, or if she went of her own accord, is only known by Obama and herself. After we win this election, it's our turn. Payback time. Everyone not with us is against us, and they better be ready, because we don't forget. The ones who helped us will be rewarded. The ones who opposed us will get what they deserve. There is going to be hell to pay. Congress won't be a problem for us this time. No election to worry about after this is over. And we have two judges ready to go. That is what Valerie Jarrett said late in the re-election campaign. I hope you remember that quote, but it's easy enough to go find it. This was the mindset of the woman who, according to this report, made that call. Now, here's the thing. If this is true... And like I said, there is a link to this on the t uh, report on Tap Into the Truth Facebook page. Check us out on Facebook. Like the page while you're there. We've got the link to that along with several other high-quality links. Like the reason why I did it take till today for the mainstream media to jump on the bandwagon of reporting the series of jailbreaks going on across the Middle East including Abu Ghraib, being perpetrated by Al-Qaeda. Anybody know why that wasn't being reported? In fact, it wasn't until Glenn Beck and a few other conservatives started hammering at this particular story that they finally decided to pick it up and get into it. It's sad that our media has moved to this level. That they have to be prodded into doing their job. But this is a major story. And this is what we have going on. Criminal charges for the first time in Benghazi. But who's being charged? The local militia leader. The investigation of the attack last September that killed Ambassador Christopher Stevens and three others continues. As the investigators try to build their case, 
against this militia leader and others who authorities believe were involved it comes down to the fact that Attorney General Eric Holder had earlier this year promised congressional lawmakers that Justice Department would soon make public what actions it would take. With the anniversary of the attacks looming, the Justice Department has come under criticism for a lack of public progress in the case. Now, here's the thing. I pulled this article from a website that is goes by the name of Special Operations Speaks. You can find them at specialoperationspeaks.com. A great little site, but they take these little bits and pieces. The original original article this is reported off of from CNN. CNN actually, at the moment, for the time being, appears to be making the swing back from military slash propaganda slash pro whatever the Democrats want propagandist operation back to what seems to be a realistic news operation. Now, still a little early, too early to tell, I think. But uh, the signs are there. I'm very proud of CNN. If they will continue this, I'm not yet convinced. This probably is not a long-term thing. But you know what? I hope. I pray. That these journalists will wake up to the fact that they have been bamboozled, duped, and they're being treated far worse than Richard Nixon treated the media. All right. Now, these are the headlines. You notice Al-Qaeda, 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 Al-Qaeda dominating these headlines. Here's this threat. Here's what's going on. Most of the news talk folks today wanted to go on and on about uh, how Obama said nothing but Al-Qaeda's on the run. Uh, bin Laden's dead and GM's alive. Uh, we all heard that ad nauseum during the re-election campaign. That's what happens. So now, here's the appearance. And this is part of what I talked about in yesterday's broadcast. Talking about the closing of these embassies initially. Which there are four more added today, just in case you didn't realize. In case you hadn't heard. Four more embassies closed today, most of these in Africa, northern Africa. We seem to be moving a little more towards central Africa now. Really, still, this pushes an image of weakness in front of the world. This makes it look like we're the ones on the run. Hey, guess what, Al-Qaeda? You're winning! Congratulations! And all of this, as today marks the beginning of the trial for the Fort Hood shooter. Now, for those of you who may have been hiding under a rock or maybe just don't have the memory, in November of 2009, a major who was an army psychiatrist allegedly 
went on a shooting spree in a no-gun zone at the Fort Hood Army Base. Then Major Nadal Hassan went on the shooting rampage and he killed Army personnel on the base. We'll have a refresher about that and we'll talk about what happened today as the case got underway when we come back from this quick and brief break. Stay with us. into the truth check us out at tapintothetruth.com for our latest blog posts and for links to all of our past broadcasts don't forget to like us on facebook and to follow us on twitter that's tap into the truth right here on spreaker radio That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are back here in historic Roan County, Tennessee, a place I dearly love. Beautiful location. Uh, if you've never had a chance to visit it, I highly recommend you stopping by and taking a peek around. We are just outside of the Knoxville area, so if you're passing through, check us out. Meanwhile, uh, doing those lovely little promotional items that we love to do so well. Uh, I remind you, several links to all these headlines we're talking about can be found at Tap Into The Truth Facebook page. Uh, had a bit of an uptick in likes at the page recently, so I'm glad to see that you guys are coming on over and checking us out. In the meanwhile, I also would like to remind you that uh, we'd very much like for you to follow the show while you're here. Uh, if you are a fan of Spreaker, or if you happen to be another broadcaster here on Spreaker, you probably already know that Spreaker has entered into a partnership with Clear Channel, which is going to allow podcasting from Spreaker to become part of the content at iHeartRadio. But there are a few things that are involved with getting approved by iHeart and Clear Channel. One of those is they want to make sure that you're popular enough to warrant having space. So they are looking for folks that have at least a hundred followers along with a multitude of plays. Now I have very little problem with plays. I, we do numbers quite well. Get a lot of listens. But for whatever reason just don't have a whole heck of a lot of followers. Which is why for the whole With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Entirety of the three months of summer, we were running the contest. New followers were eligible for a prize pack. Now, the first follower has still, first winner for the month of June, has never officially claimed their prize pack. And I have made a few attempts to contact TY Capitalism. If he does not, however, claim the prize pack soon, at the end of the cycle of the contest, I will choose another winner. But we did have a winner for the month of July. Her blog talk handle is Mary13531, and her prize pack has already been sent to her. And should be arriving soon. I hope that she enjoys it. The prize pack is a food prize pack. Something a little different. Something you don't often see with talk. Uh, It includes fudge. Some of the best fudge in the country. Produced by the specialist of country fresh food. And confections. Which create the line of country fresh fudge. Great stuff. And it also included... Some select items from the Jake and Amos line of Amish-style canned goods, which actually they put most of their stuff in jars, but the process is still called canning, so kept me a little slack. And also some preserves, a couple of jams and jellies from Miss Miller's. This is the same prize pack, which will include freshly made fudge at the time of the drawing. The month of August will have one more winner. If you're not familiar with the show over at Blog Talk Radio, I suggest you go over there and check us out. have fewer followers over there, so uh, when you check it out, please feel free to uh, follow us there as well. But that's what I'm asking for. Quick reminder, in case you needed to know, we are available now on iTunes. The show's there. You can check us out if you're an iTunes subscriber and prefer to listen to us there. Well, by all means, check us out. Now, for the remainder of the show, we are going to talk about this trial. Now, allow me to set the tone for you. What we have is a gentleman who is Muslim. He, over the course of the last few years going into this shooting had grown more and more disillusioned with the military he began to feel that our operations in Iraq and in in Afghanistan were an open declaration of war against Islam itself so he begins treating his patients differently. This still doesn't quite register with his superiors. He continues to get excellent uh, reviews. And it just continues one bit after another to be a case where this man 
became involved in his own jihad against his fellow mates in the army. What happened is this man went into the no-gun zone on this base, and he opened fire, killing and wounding several army personnel on the base, some of which he knew personally as he treated them, some of which he'd never had encounters with. But here's what happened today. Today, his trial started. He decided he was going to defend himself. The victims who survived cannot get their Purple Hearts. The United States government has deemed this an issue of workplace violence as opposed to a terrorist act. Because they won't classify it as terrorism, the military personnel involved who were injured, wounded, or killed don't get the same honors that they would have if they actually faced military combat. There's the problem. But here's the problem with getting to defend yourself in court. Things got a little weird today because he gets to cross-examine the witnesses. Here he is, the shooter. And although technically at this point we're still supposed to say alleged shooter, there's no question that this man did it and was screaming Allah Akbar as he did. Today he called himself a Mahadeen. It's being reported that the trial of the Fort Hood gunman, who was acting as his own attorney, took a surreal turn as the former army psychiatrist accused of killing 13 in the November 2009 attack grilled witnesses, including his former boss in the military and a fellow Muslim who spoke to him the day of the shooting. After a short opening statement in which ex-army major Nadal Hassan called himself a Mahudin, admitted to the rampage and said the dead bodies will show that war is an ugly thing. Hassan cross-examined prosecution witnesses, including retired Lieutenant Colonel Ben Kirk Phillips, his former boss. When pressed by the defendant, Phillips had to acknowledge that his officer evaluation report had graded Hassan as outstanding. He declined to cross-examine one of the shooting victims, Sergeant Alonzo Lunsford, who provided the day's most damaging testimony. Lunsford, who was shot seven times during the incident, described what happened that day, saying he first saw Hassan sitting in a chair with his arms on his knees while looking at the floor. He said Hassan then jumped up and ordered the one civilian in the room to leave before shouting, Allah Akbar. 
and opening fire. Panic set in among the soldiers who crowded towards the rear door, which was jammed. Lunchworth said that he sprinted for the door at one point while Hassan was shooting, then turned around to see the gunman's laser sight pointed at him before being shot in the head. Lunchford testified he tried to appear dead, then later decided to flee because dead men don't sweat. He then made another sprint for the door as he was shot six more times before being pulled to safety. Earlier, Hassan did cross-examine Pat Santi, who met Hassan at the uh, Kaleen Islamic Center in Fort Hood the morning of the shooting. This gentleman said Hassan took the microphone at the mosque and called for prayer. After call to prayer... He bid goodbye and told the congregation he was going home. This fellow Muslim said that he found that odd. Hassan asked Santi to describe the difference between the call for prayer and actual prayer. Then asked who is supposed to lead the call. Uh, the response was whoever the imam looks at. But you know that, sir. It was not clear how the 42-year-old Hassan plans to fashion his stance into a defense. Hassan has wanted to argue that he shot U.S. troops to protect Taliban fighters in Afghanistan. But the judge forbade the American-born Muslim and former army psychiatrist from using that defense. Three witnesses took the stand after opening arguments, including the manager of the store Guns Galore, where Hassan had purchased the Glock 27 Model 5.7 handgun used in the attack. He testified that almost every trip I can remember was always for ammunition and magazines, extensions, and at one point, an additional laser. Another store employee, a Frederick Brana, who sold the weapon to Hassan, said that he saw the shooter in the store almost every week where he would buy up to 300 rounds of ammo each time. This obviously was taking place before the government was buying up ammunition to the point that nobody could find any at a reasonable price. The sheer quantity of ammo being shot was expensive. Brandon continued, and he also said on the stand, adding that the purchased magazine extensions and a green laser sight cost $350. Hendricks told the military jury Hassan picked the date of the attack for a specific reason, though he did not immediately reveal details. The trial is expected to take weeks, possibly months. Taking the witness stand will be many of the more than 30 people who were wounded, plus dozens of others who were inside the post-soldier readiness processing center, where some service members were 
preparing to deploy to Afghanistan. Hassan has never denied carrying out the attack. And the fact that the case is mostly settled, but the questions abound about how the trial will play out. How will Hassan question his victims? How will victims respond? How will his health hold up? The defendant, who was shot in the back by officers responding to the attack, is now paralyzed from the waist down and must use a wheelchair. He requires 15 to 20 minute stretching breaks about every four hours, and he has to lift himself off of his wheelchair for about a minute every half hour to avoid developing sores. The judge, Colonel Tara Osborne, told jurors to prepare for the trial uh, that could last several months. Also today, guards stood watch with long assault rifles. Don't know why the, in this report they want to make sure you know that they're long assault rifles. <laughs> but at any rate, they stood watch with long assault rifles outside the courthouse. A long row of shipping freight containers stacked three high created a fence around the building, which was almost entirely hidden by 15-foot-tall stacks of heavy, shock-absorbing barriers that extend to the roof line. The government has said that Hassan, a U.S.-born Muslim, had sent more than a dozen emails starting in December of 2008 to Anwar al-Awlaki, the radical U.S.-born Islamic cleric killed by a drone strike in Yemen back in 2011. Hope that rings a bell. Authorities in the military justice system have also struggled to avoid reversed sentences on appeal. Eleven of the 16 death sentences handed down by military juries in the last 30 years have been overturned, according to the academic study and court records. That's one reason why prosecutors and the military judge have been careful leading up to the trial. Uh, Jeffrey Korn, a professor at the South Texas College of Law and a former military lawyer himself said that the public looks and says this is an obviously guilty defendant. What's so hard about this? Corns also says that what seems so simple is in fact relatively complicated. There's also a link to that particular report at the Tap Into The Truth Facebook page but here is the great thing. He is not claiming innocence by any means, which means this is nothing more than a show trial. And he's playing into this show trial because he wants to be seen and heard in decrying the U.S. military's efforts against Islam. And it's a false premise. The U.S. military is interested in stopping radical Islam terrorism. But whether we like it or not, ladies and gentlemen, radical Islam 
is at war with us regardless. And there's a reason why they're at war with us, and it is simply because we must convert or we must die. In the teachings of Islam, what Christians and Jews and the secular Western world represents is all contradictory to what Islam teaches. Now, I've got a comment in the chat room at the moment, but it looks like it's in Arabic, and unfortunately, I cannot read Arabic, so I can't respond to, uh, to your uh, comment. But uh, at the very least, I, I'm acknowledging that I see you there, and I appreciate your participation on the show. Thank you. Nadal Hassan is representing himself, which is a tricky road to hope, but more than that, he doesn't even seem to be offering a defense. He is, in fact, seeking an audience to make his statement about what he believes the U.S. military was doing and why it was wrong. He killed American soldiers on a base who had not been deployed yet. And his defense that he wants to offer up is that he was protecting Muslims on the battlefield. He saw the people that he worked with every day as his enemy. This man served in our military, had rose to the rank of major. He was a psychiatrist. He was well educated. He was a doctor. And this man decided that the people he worked with, the people that he treated, the people who were both above him and below him in the chain of command, became his enemy. And rather than actually try to defend himself, he is showing himself to be guilty. He is guilty of killing these 13 soldiers. He is guilty of injuring and wounding a multitude of more than 30 other soldiers. Some of which, it is a miracle they survived. And all of this in the name of his religion. His faith. I don't understand why our government refuses to acknowledge that this was an act of terrorism. They're denying Purple Hearts to those injured soldiers and that extra level of 
care and disability and well, well, you know, it's not care, it's not disability rating, but it does. It's a matter of priority. You get a higher priority if you are combat wounded as opposed to workplace wounded. The official stance from the government is they didn't want to affect the trial. They were afraid that it would contaminate the jury. But the very testimony itself and the cross-examinations itself to this point seem pretty clear that there's no reason to worry about contaminating the jury because he's not denying that he did it. This trial is probably going to serve to stir up more anti-Islamic feelings here in the West. I don't think it's going to serve to protect anybody anywhere outside of the United States. It's not going to help protect any Muslims. It's not going to help protect any members of Al-Qaeda. It's only going to serve to stir up more anti-Islamic feelings here in the United States. If he continues this declaration of how he is fighting his own jihad against the United States. It's just, it's not conducive to what he's claiming to be his objective. Is this a case where the psychiatrist needed to spend some more time with another psychiatrist? Has he completely went off the deep end? Did he lose it? Normally, you would think somebody who has a nice, cushy position like psychiatrist would indeed not be concerned about what's going on in the battlefield, except when treating patients who have been there and are suffering from post-traumatic symptoms. This guy thinks he took a stand. This guy thinks he's a hero. And to some people around the world, he may very well be seen as such. But what this man actually did was went into a crowd of unarmed people and randomly shot. He did have the thoughts to uh, send a civilian out. So I'll give him some thought there. At any rate, it's time to do your own thinking. Now, don't take my word for it. Don't take their word for it. Do some research. Decide for yourself. Use your brain. That's it for tonight, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show. Everybody have a great night, and we'll be back soon. Have a great night, everybody.